All right. Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are shorter, more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Joined as usual, I was going to say as always, but as usual by Steve. How are you, man? Good. Yeah. Had a good weekend. We had the Idaho Wild Sheep Banquet Saturday night. You know, we donated a couple packs to it and bought a, had a table for most of the XO employees. We had a good time. That's uh is there just one hunt given away there? Uh this one what'd they do? I don't remember. I know that I think there was two grizzly bear no, one grizzly bear hunt that was given away. And there were, I don't think there was a sheep hunt in the raffle. Yeah. I must have had too much whiskey that night. <laughs> like, no, they sure did one up with a life member drawing. They did a doll sheep hunt. That's right. So the doll sheep hunt and there's a grizzly bear hunt, I think, were the two that given away. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is, uh, it, it honestly feels like already a long, long time ago, but I just realized before we hit record, Steve, this is the first time we've been on a podcast since case four, four has been released, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was a whirlwind last week. Yeah, we've been playing uh, really just like all hands on deck. The response to K4 and initial orders were great. And we're just honestly focusing um, on getting all of that taken care of and shipped as quickly as possible. So I know you've been out shipping pretty much full time, Steve, and we still have a lot to go, but we are... Uh, you know, trying to under promise and over deliver on lead times and looking like um, things are going to be pretty good. So excited to get packs out to guys, especially with bear hunts coming up and things like that. And it's fun already guys who are getting packs just to see feedback and comments. And uh, yeah, as you said before in a previous podcast, like the fun comes for us after shipping them yes but really after guys get out and get to use them in the field and get on hunts and then get some real feedback yeah no absolutely yeah it's uh it, like you said all hands on deck we got everybody in the warehouse except you obviously <laughs> being in missouri <laughs> uh just just shipping as many as we can it's kind of this, the whole flip the whole priority around in the office at the moment of like that is the the highest priority of getting the packs out the door and like I said, even with all of us cranking, there's just only so many you can do per day. And uh, but hopefully, certainly by I say middle of next week, I think we're going to start getting to where we're back on schedule. Like you know, I think the shipping times will be down to just a couple of days. So all the all the orders from uh, from basically last Tuesday when we launched should be shipped out by later this week, early next week. And yeah, things are cruising along. It was I felt like everything just could not have gone better it was uh, just perfect all the you know like we were talking about prior to that last podcast just just trying to cover all the bases make sure we were prepared and ready and um yeah everything so far so good i guess right yeah absolutely it's been uh good like i said to get feedback and you know just even answer some questions and both on people getting packs, but also one thing, and we mentioned this, is just releasing videos, I think, gives people mm -hmm. a much better feel for the pack system after we've been talking about in the podcast or people, you know, maybe see a couple photos, but the videos show a lot. So one uh, 
question came through via SpeakPipe that I thought was worth addressing quickly on K4, just on some of the small details and give us uh, just a chance to, again, talk a little bit behind the design again. Uh, and then we're going to move on to hear some questions here that are not K4 related. But first to hit this one on some quick details. Hey, guys, congratulations on the K4 launch. I'm super stoked for you. Um, I'm pretty excited to hear what other guys are saying about the bag, how it fits, how it feels, how it loads out. So got a couple questions for you. One of them, the horseshoe zip on one of the bags, but not on all the bags. I personally am an absolute fan of the horseshoe zip. I've appreciated that design feature on most all the other bags that I've used in the past. My current setup was specifically chosen because of the horseshoe zip. Just, uh, I just need to know, like, if it was something that you guys felt was only good for the one bag and didn't work on the day bag or the expedition style sack. And then, um, my second question is the water bladder retention system is fantastic. Uh, I love it when companies add a way to, to hold the water bladder in there without having to, you know, add some sort of sack or something hanging in there. But I noticed that none of your bag designs have any way to retain the hose. There's no attachment feature on the shoulder harnesses like you would get with say like a Kelty pack or Gregory or, or maybe some of the other um, hunting packs in the industry. So I'm just really curious why you've never included that on your bags and what your thoughts are on, on what to do with the hose because you don't have a way to retain it. Thanks. All right, Steve. So to summarize horseshoe zip and bladder hose, let's tackle the horseshoe zip first. Why is that not on all bags? Primarily because of weight. If uh, you know, a lot of, if you look at the weight of a 5,000 versus 7,200, even though the 7,200 is significantly larger in size, it's only about two ounces uh, heavier in weight. And so with the 36, I just kind of prioritize the 36 and 72. I prioritize keeping things as light as possible. And then the 5,000, we go, okay, let's add a, a nicer horseshoe zipper. Uh, and then we also put that little internal pocket on the inside of the 5,000. And it's just... You know, some guys, uh, if you go to that uh, monstrous thread on Rockslide, you'll see, like, some guys ask this question. I know I've seen it pop up, like, why is the horseshoe zipper not on everything? And then some guys are like, yeah, I totally agree. It should be on everything. And then there'll be, like, four or five guys comment, like, no, I I actually prefer the straight zip. And then uh, I'll talk to guys like, yeah, I got the horseshoe zip, but I, I never use it. I just kind of unzip one side and grab what I need out of there. So everyone's just got different preferences, and we just try to do a good job balancing that out as well. So the... Uh, you know, we'll the 2000 ish cubic, cubic inch bag that I'm working on that'll come out this summer. We'll have a horseshoe zip. So we'll basically have a, a horseshoe zip. Then the 36B is the straight zipper and then another horseshoe zip and then the straight zipper for the 72. So we're basically having two bags of each in the lineup. And, and that way you can kind of pick and choose what you want. But yeah, it's, it is a great feature. I, you know, I really like the horseshoe zip as well. It just, uh, at the same time, you know, each, we just try to balance that out and then certainly prioritize weight savings on the 36 and 72. And then on the bladder clip, I just haven't ever found one that I like that they're usually just are really prone to breaking. And, and then we, at one point we use just some elastic little bands that we sewed on there, but they just stretch out over time and, and don't work very well. And frankly, I just take my bladder tube and I run it, you know, behind, obviously it goes out, out the top of the frame run it behind the load lifter strap and then just tuck it into the sternum strap of the pack. And I find that works very well. Nothing can break and it just stays sitting right there the whole time. You could certainly 
just grab, you know, there's all sorts of clips you could probably buy on Amazon or something if you wanted to have a clip that, you know, you just clip into the webbing there and, and holds the bladder too. But again, I've just found them very prone to breaking. Yeah, it's, um, there's, it's another area where there's a lot of preference involved. Like some guys want them, don't want them. They want a certain type. They want it magnetic. They don't. Um, as you said, Steve, there's a bunch of options out there. I can even leave a quick link um, to Amazon because I know I've shared that with customers in the past. And even on K4 in particular, we've always had the webbing there on K3, but uh, there's that section of Molly now in the K4 harness and there's some Molly uh, bladder tube retention um, devices. So you even have more options. You can still use webbing or Molly at this point. But um, yeah, the ones that I've used historically have not been durable. And then I just don't like when I'm not running a bladder because I'm a guy that sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. Um, when that's empty, it gets caught on stuff. It feels in the way. Um, so yeah, do do what you need to do. If you want to add one, you can get one for literally a few bucks. So, All right, Steve, uh, we had a listener reach out and back when Idaho had their tags on sale, he got a non-resident tag in Idaho that he's really excited about. Uh, I don't know which tag it is, but uh, it's one of the tougher ones to get, it sounds like. He's in Florida, and he was planning on doing this hunt with a buddy or two, but it's not going to work out. And now he's looking at hunting solo in Idaho, and he's from Florida. So he reached out about opinions or just things to think about on should he fly or drive, and it is a 35-hour drive. So he uh, mentions what are advantages and disadvantages either way. If he does fly, how does he get elk back on a plane? Could he rent a car and buy coolers when he gets there and potentially drive back after flying out? So just kind of, he wanted some things to think about on the different options. For me, this definitely starts with the fact that he's solo. I think the the answer or the possibilities are a little bit different if he were with someone and and splitting this drive. But to me, Steve, the thought of a 35 hour drive one way solo is tough. I mean, it can be done, but it's going to take up a ton of time. And I don't feel, I feel like it would be very difficult to do that drive efficiently and not eat up a ton of time. And then show up in a good condition to be ready to hunt effectively mm. that'd be tough man 35 hours so <laughs> it'd be really um, hard yeah my thought and you know i'll just ramble for a second and you can hop in with anything my thought if i were this guy where my head first goes is buy a one-way ticket get out there and i'm not saying don't think about how you're going to get back like understand what your options are to get back but don't commit to a way to get back home. So I would fly out one way ticket, be there, get fresh, have a great hunt. And then, you know, based on whether you do or don't fill a tag based on how early or late into the hunt, you potentially fill a tag and what your schedule looks like. Then you can make some decisions on, am I flying back home or am I driving back home? If I'm, you know, say you fill a tag. If you're flying back home, are you flying back home with the meat? Are you going to leave the meat with a processor in Idaho and get it home later? You're flying home without it. 
Um, are you going to drive home, as he mentioned, maybe get some coolers and drive home with the meat? So I think you just have a lot of options. But one thing I think it's tough to commit to is this is the way I'm getting back without knowing whether your hunt was successful or not, or again, even timing, how quick or late end of the hunt did that hunt end? So that's my thought. Fly out and f- essentially figure it out later, <laughs> knowing what your options are. What anything else for you, Steve? Yeah, I guess I don't really have a lot to add to that. I think you're in, you're right in the ballpark. That drive solo that would be incredibly tough and take up a lot of days. So I think flying out here, renting a car, hunting, and you know, like you said, it, the reality is there's probably only a at best 25% chance he's successful. I, I hate to you know phrase it like that. You need to plan for it. But if, you know, if he's not successful, then it becomes easier. You just jump back on the airplane and fly home. And then if you are awesome, you, and you deal with it. And I would probably lean towards just, for, you know, as far as he is, I would just yeah drop the meat off at a processor, get it butchered, have them do like Alaska air cargo to get it back to you at some point and you just fly home. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I said before, like, figure it out later. Again, I'm not saying don't do research. I think it would be great to start looking at processors in Idaho, start asking them about shipping options to get me back to Florida once it's processed, et cetera. So do the research and have a plan, uh, but have a plan A, B, C for how to get back. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, Steve, one came, a question came through and it was kind of top and top of mind for me because it was about shooting with kids and that's something I have been doing, but you know, as we, my kids are getting a little bit older and getting more serious into hunting, I've been thinking through, um, like what's a good setup for them. And, uh, mm-hmm. this guy who wrote in says he has boys who are six and eight. He's just getting them into hunting and shooting, but he doesn't want to create any bad habits or flinching. Um, he says his gun safety skills are on point and he drills that into them on every outing. However, he struggled a bit trying to explain how f- they should aim properly and then operate a trigger properly. So he's just kind of asking for <laughs> any suggestions, resources, et cetera, that would help him. Um, I think just at a super high level, and this guy already said it, but obviously number one is always start with safety. Um, Simple things I always did with my kids when they were young is um, starting them single shot, whether that's a single shot firearm or if it happens to be a semi-auto firearm, um, only ever loading one round at a time. Um, That's just one practical thing. But obviously the four rules of gun safety, starting with that first, uh, keeping a careful eye, et cetera. So always start with safety clearly. Um, And then I think before you get into hunting, I would just say start them shooting as early as possible. So I like that this guy's asking this question now with his boys being six or eight, probably a little bit of ways from hunting. But I think the more you can shoot at an early age, you know, you're separating a little bit the shooting from the hunting and building a good base of shooting practice, familiarity with firearms, et cetera, before that's obviously happening in a hunting scenario. Um, you know, start, obviously a a big factor with kids is, is thinking of recoil. So my kids started with a BB gun, went to, you know, 22 rim fire, 
And then stepping up into center fire was always trying to do that in a very manageable way. Um, whether that's a two, two, three, um, I have a 300 blackout the kids have shot and then up into my six, five Creedmoor with a suppressor. Um, and that's another thing obviously is if you have the opportunity to shoot with a suppressor or would invest in one, I think it's worth investing in one for all the reasons we've talked about you and I, Steve for hunting, but especially if you'll be shooting with kids, uh, it can go a long way. And I would still shoot with a suppressor and hearing protection for the kids especially um and that's not even in the realm of discussion for me of is it hearing safe or not um i think for kids it's worth protecting their hearing as much as possible period but also just how much of the recoil impulse is influenced not by the recoil itself but by the sound so when you can reduce the sound and have a lighter recoiling um, firearm those two together are going to help the kids a ton one thing I've realized um, beyond the recoil of the firearm and beyond the sound is working with kids on trigger control. And that's never going to be perfect. But I think uh, a danger I realized quickly, like with my son, for example, Steve, when I moved him from a single shot 22 rimfire to a semi-auto, is I saw how quickly he just went trigger happy and was just bam, 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 you know? And uh, realizing that he's not learning any trigger control or probably developing some very bad habits with trigger control just because he's now in this hyper shoot fast semi-autos are awesome mode. And so um, I'll still let him do that some just to have fun. Like there's this big steel range that we go to and just steal everywhere and he has fun shooting pretty quick and plinking. But each time we go out and shoot, I definitely do some what I would call drills, but he doesn't know that we're doing drills, but just some scenarios and shots where I'm forcing him to practice good trigger control um, and aim at the same time. So like how slow can you make this go off? Not how fast can you shoot through a bunch of rounds? So those are things that come to mind. Um, This guy mentioned specifically as well beyond a 22 long rifle what would a good firearm be for him to have for his kids to start hunting with? And he mentioned um, that he started when he was young with a 30-30 and he developed bad habits and he's considering starting his kids with a 223 bolt gun, which I think is a great choice. And it made me think of a thread over on Rockslide about the use of 223 for big game um and it i will say is i don't think it needs to be but it is a very long at times controversial dramatic thread but if you scroll through it there's actually some really good uh terminal performance information on the 223 and i think it's a injustice to label that cartridge as good or bad without understanding how it can be good or bad depending on Yes, shot selection distance, but also project tile choice makes a huge difference. And so I would just say if you are considering something like a 223, uh, that thread would be something great to check out. And I'll leave a link to that. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, 243 is classic, uh, 243 or six millimeter, um, kind of same thing right now, but six millimeter is a lot of hot new options, including a six millimeter Creedmoor, 
would be cool. Um, as I mentioned with my kids, 300 blackout and six, five Creedmoor I've used as well. So those are a bunch of thoughts for getting kids started into shooting. Um, I'm sure there's more details we could hit. Have you started with, uh, your little guys yet, Steve? Yeah, no, I haven't done much shooting. I've, I've done bows and arrows with the kids and then introduced more, some toy guns, you know, dart guns and things like that, but they haven't actually shot any real, um, you know anything real so yeah uh, yeah they're five and well six and three so it's uh certainly i want this camping this summer i think i'll start kind of introducing some stuff to my daughter and then my son maybe we'll see how that goes yeah. right it's tough at three but yeah i think with both of my kids it was right at five or six when i started with a bb gun and pretty quick went to a 22 um but definitely something single shot like they i what's cool is um my grandpa's first 22, which was my mom's first 22, which was my first 22. I still have. So it's the kids first 22 that they've shot four generations, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. But, um, they sell like those little crickets. Those would be something great to start on. And, uh, I know Sawyer's pretty much into girly stuff. Like you get her a pink one. She'd, she'd love it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, as we said in the beginning, we have a ton of packs to go ship so uh we're gonna wrap this one up here as always guys thank you so much for tuning in um i'm really excited about some of the conversations uh that's coming on the podcast and back to kind of we were on a somewhat of a hiatus in terms of behind the scenes scheduling new episodes uh, for the last few weeks and back to um, scheduling and recording new episodes so there's a lot to come and as i've mentioned before if you have anything you want to add to the show whether that's a question or a topic suggestion, or maybe even a story, reach out and let us know. Just send an email to podcast at exomontgear.com. We would love to hear from you. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. We'll talk to you soon.